Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Okay, Eric Bilstadt. Uh, the new logo for American Family Field is yes. out. What'd you think of it? It's fine. It's fine. I'm not. I have to admit, I wasn't sure what I was expecting. Um, I wasn't expecting like part of the roof to be yeah. character characterized down there, if you will. I thought it was okay, uh, but it's I, fine. I, yeah, yeah. I, I I agree. I don't. I that's. I kind of looked at it and thought, okay, as they could have gone a lot farther and done a lot worse. I guess. I mean, it's it's not like the Marquette Gold or anything like right. that that nickname <laughs> from years ago when when Marquette was going to change its name. We'll, we'll turn it into the Marquette Gold. No, was it's not Marquette Gold worthy. I mean, it's. But I, I'm the guy. I'm the guy that liked the. I I still do not understand what is wrong with the the new city of Milwaukee flag design. Oh, Remember sure. they they approved yeah, it yeah. and it was that sunrise over the lake. I thought that was kind of a cool thing. And now, of course, we we don't have a city of Milwaukee flag because the Common Council thought it was not inclusive enough or some silliness like that. But I, I like that. I I think the American family thing's going to be okay. Yeah, and I think most fans just win, baby. Well, well, <laughs> you win, and the rest takes okay. care of itself. How long? This is the more interesting thing. Okay, so the after this year, Miller Park stops yes. being Miller Park. Mm-hmm. The question is, is in my mind, how long is it going to be before people stop referring to Miller Park as Miller Park and instead call it American Family Field? I think the transition will go quicker than people realize. It won't be right away. But there are a lot of stadiums across the country that have changed names. And after a year or two, most fans start to realize what the new name is. Uh, um, so I would say it's going to happen quicker than you think. Will it happen in the first month? No. Probably first, first, <laughs> probably second year yeah. second year in, maybe. Okay, well, we'll, we'll see what the over-under is. I, I would say closer to 10 years. We, we, no, we'll see, we, we are, okay. I, I mean, I can give you all sorts of examples of, of that, especially for people who've been around here for a long time. The Milwaukee Arena, which is what I grew up with, and now it's like the UW Panther Arena. Right. I, nobody thinks of it as the, as the well, I shouldn't say nobody. I, I think most people who've grown up around here still Call say the it's the Milwaukee, or, or the arena. right, or the, or the arena. Um, the, you know, I, the, the Marcus Center for the Performing Arts, I mean, I think people think of that as the PAC, the Performing Arts uh, Center. Um, I think so, people more, uh, okay. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I do, I'll give you these different, I could well, go look on. At, look at Comiskey. Comiskey okay, became Chicago. U.S. Cellular, yeah, then it Chicago. became something else, but they, no yeah. one calls it Comiskey. Right, no, I, I understand, but that's Chicago. I, I think, I think <laughs> no, I think Milwaukee okay. is, I, well, well, I guess I'm, I think kind of Milwaukee is different. I'll give you another example. Over under is 10 years. I okay, summer, <laughs> all right, Summerfest. There, there's the, 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 the new, the amphitheater. Um, how do you think most people think of the amphitheater Summerfest? You think they call it the Marcus Amphitheater? Absolutely. And and I know that. Now, I mean, have we even had we had one year so far the American Family Amphitheater, right? And one or two, one, yeah, right. Okay. Because they didn't have summer. But I, again, I, you 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 could be right. We, we we talk about this all the time. I I still can't get over. Okay, Northwestern Mutual. For for me, I, I understand they changed their name now. It, it, for years and years and years, it was Northwestern Mutual Life. So most of us think of uh, many of us think of it as Northwestern Mutual Life. NM, NML. NML right. They don't refer to it that that that's NM, life is right, gone. Yeah. It, it's NM. <laughs> I, I I think most people who hung out around here, if you would say that, they say, "Oh, NML." They know what you're talking about. But again, I it, it just we we we. 
I think we adjust to change slower here in Wisconsin. You know, we're more traditionalists. Oh, I look forward to having this conversation with you in eight to ten years, and we can decide. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. We'll, we'll have to track us both down, perhaps. You know, look, everybody's calling it American Family Field. They're still okay. All right, another example. The, the, all right, the, the convention center. I mean, you, you say the Midwest, it hasn't been Midwest Express Center for Lord knows how long. Right. You, you say Midwest Express Center. Everybody knows what you're talking about. Well, yeah, they know what you're talking about. I mean, what about the U.S. Bank building? Do you still call that the First Star Building? Yeah, but it's been U.S. Bank for a long time. Yeah, but I that's guess. my point, that after so many years, it well, starts Well, right, to... right. I, and you're saying, I'm just saying, you're saying months, I'm I, saying well, years. No, I said, not, <laughs> I said, two, that's my I point. said year <laughs> two, I think by 2022... After hearing what it's now called or what it's going to be called, people will okay well, slowly. That that's the great thing about this stuff. I, I think the over under is is going to be a years. lot be, be a lot longer <laughs> on that. And even after that, people will say we're going down to Miller Park, and they'll you mean American Family Field? I you know whatever. We'll we'll, we'll both see. will work. Right. Both will work. And the big point that got me started on this, I thought the logo was okay too. I mean that's one of the, that's <laughs> always you know everybody's got opinions on this. All right. Let us get started. I, I sent out a tweet about this over the weekend because there was something that just absolutely infuriated me. Um, and let me just start. The, the, the headline on this is, all right, it's just stuff, but stuff makes a big difference. Bill Penzi, who is the guy, he, he owns like Penzi Spice Shops, and there he's got 14 locations across the country. Most are... Most are suburban locations, and he, he's a big-time liberal, fine with that, sends out news sends out like a monthly newsletter that he uses as an opportunity to rip conservatives and Republicans. He's been doing that for years, and, and, and that's okay. Um, he, he does a series of, of interviews over the weekend and where he, he's talking about how um, he – he was supporting, not the rioting, but supporting the protesters. And he says, someone wrote to me to say that you would be singing a different tune if it was your store being looted. And his response is, no, I'm by no means perfect, but seriously, no, I wouldn't. Human life means everything. Stuff, not so much. So then he says, so what we're going to do is we're going to, quote, unquote, loot our own store. And what we're going to do is we're going to take a picture of all the inventory in our Kenosha store. And by the way, they've got a Kenosha store, but it's, it's out by the freeway. Most of, most of the, the Penzi Spice stores are in suburbs that are not in danger of being being looted or being destroyed in, in the forms of protests. He's got places in Cedarburg and in Brookfield and in Johnson Creek and in Whitefish Bay. I mean, you know, and Kenosha, but by the freeway and Appleton. And again, the, the list goes on. Johnson Creek, if I didn't mention that before. So the list goes on and on. He says, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a picture of the stuff in our, our store, in our Kenosha store, and then we're going to donate the equivalent of that to different to different like food places or, or whatever. So, you know, I... I I wouldn't mind if, if my stuff was looted. There is this cause. That's the cause. Okay, so I, I was thinking about that, and I thought, you know, candidly, how clueless could this possibly be? Yes, it, it's one thing, and it's great to say, okay, this is what our inventory in the store is. And, and yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll donate it. That's great. That's, that's a wonderful sort of thing. But that, to me, just doesn't take into account the scope of what happens when your your business, the business that you've worked a lifetime for, has been absolutely, completely, and totally destroyed. 
And if you look at the pictures of what happened in Kenosha during the, the riots, the local newspaper doesn't like to use that word, but it was a riot. You see 30 businesses that were burned to the ground, looted and and destroyed. And, uh, you know, for those business owners, I believe it's probably just not stuff. And to that to that end, there, there's a piece that one of the, the TV stations did, one of, I think, the local TV stations did, and it, it interviews the guy who owns the car dealership that was torched over two consecutive nights. If you want to see the interview, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 But it, it's incredibly telling. $2.5 million in damage to this man's business. Um, and here's what he says. He says, look, here, here, here's the deal. It, it's not just a business. We built it from the ground up. We started off with seven cars. We built it car by car, like tile by tile. We bought the business in 2013. We made, and it's a family business, the guy, his parents, his brother. Um, over time, we made additions when we could afford to. We put in a new office, pole lights, and an asphalt surface. You know, we, we bought these cars. It was a pre-owned car dealership. And the first night, people broke in $1.5 million in damage to the business. The second night, People came out, finished up the rest of the cars, burned everything on the lot, a total of $2.5 million in estimated damages. The guy says, I don't think anybody had any political issues with our location. He said, the problem is we were just right by the courthouse. So you just had people that were looking to destroy stuff, things, and, and we just happened to be near where a large group was, was gathering. So for people who then say, oh, it's only stuff. Here's something that I think a lot of people don't know. Now, Grew, producing the show today and always. All right, the guy had all the cars, $2.5 million in inventory, buildings, all that burned down and destroyed. Would you think that that would be covered by insurance? Uh, all of it? No. Uh, to, a, to a certain degree, perhaps? But no. The answer is, the answer is no. See, here's, here is the... Here is the deal, and I think a lot of people don't understand this when it comes to insurance. I- insurance in most policies, and I'm, I'm talking about in general terms, there is what they call an exclusion for intentional acts. That, that means in- insurance is supposed to be for, for accidents. If there is an intentional act, like arson would be an intentional act, most policies say you cannot recover. That's not a covered event. If somebody burns down your place, you can sue them for the damage they caused. Good luck with that, trying to track down the rioters and sue them. But it's typically excluded. And that's what this guy says in, in the story. He says, we filed a claim. We thought we were going to be paid. But right now, that the insurance company is saying, um, we're, it's not covered. It's an intentional act. Uh, and again, it's an intentional act. Somebody intended to do this. It wasn't an accident. And the guy's saying, um, they're telling me they don't cover riots. Uh, they're saying it's domestic terrorism. It's not covered. It says, I'm screwed. I'm bankrupt. Now, he might get some aid that they're talking about, but, but it's not going to be $2.5 million. As a practical matter, if, if he is correct, 
that his insurance company won't pay for intentional acts. And a lot of policies have that as a standard thing. It's not just stuff. This man's business is completely and totally destroyed, as are many of the other businesses that that are around there. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This, to me, is kind of the untold story of what happened in Kenosha last week. What's been happening in Madison? What's been happening to a lesser extent in Milwaukee? What's been happening in Portland? What's been happening in Seattle? What's been happening in Chicago? This widespread destruction of businesses in in this country and the idea being, oh, it's not that big a deal. It's it's just stuff. You know, you, you have to board up your windows. You have to close down. Well, it, it's more than that. This is these people's livelihoods. And, and yes, I, I understand that it's stuff as opposed to somebody losing their life. But to try to downplay or minimize the economic catastrophe that is caused by the looting, by the rioting, by the arsons, by everything else is just appalling. And I mean, from the perspective of businesses, and here's the bigger point. If I were a business person that had my livelihood invested in areas, I don't know, that might be prone to this type of stuff, who in their right mind would open a business in Seattle now? Who in their right mind would open a business in Portland, Oregon right now? Tell me what you're going to do in Kenosha to you know, convince these business owners to re-up in Kenosha. Who in their right mind would open a business on State Street in Madison nowadays, given the fact that you know that civilian authorities have looked the other way as your business has been destroyed? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's not just stuff. It's people's livelihoods and lives. And we need to do a better job of preserving and protecting them, don't we? We discuss in just a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Jeff, correct. Terrorism and acts of war are almost always excluded by insurance. So how outrageous is, is it when public officials let rioting continue and some are so bold to say it's just property, insane irresponsibility and incompetence by government that's by government that is supposed to protect the community. Yeah, Jeff, it's easy to say it's only stuff when it's not your stuff. Jeff, why can't um you know why why can't uh these individuals, you know, sue Antifa or the Black Lives Matter movement? They're the host of the so-called event. Well, I mean, it's an illegal action. Your as a legal perspective, your your cause of action would be to Go after the person that burned down your your building. That that's it. You go after the arsonist. You sue them. Okay. Well, ATF is still looking for them. But if and when they catch the people that were responsible for the arson, you can sue them. And as one of my dear departed law school professors used to say, you can sue anybody. And the, the question is is collecting. You know, two point five million dollars. Um, it, it's just. Yeah, good. Good luck, you know, with that. And again, you know, there there might be there, there might be ways they can try to find coverage, but um, you know, it it's just 
it's just awful. Jeff, I saw the TV interview you're talking about with the man who owned the car dealership in Kenosha that was destroyed. All indicators are that he and his family are immigrants to the United States, and it must hurt twice as much to, to them. Well, I think it would hurt to everybody. But, yeah, the, the idea is here we, we come to America looking for the, you know, looking for the, the American dream. We work hard. We invest you know, we, we work long hours, we build this business, and, and then it's destroyed by the rioters, the looters, the arsonists, um, and, and people who are essentially allowed to do this by politicians, by elected officials, and by bureaucrats who just don't want to stand up and they don't want to be accused of trying to trample First Amendment rights. So in, in the process of doing that, gee, we don't want to get on the wrong side of the quote-unquote legitimate protesters, so what we're going to do is stand down when we people we got people throwing Molotov cocktails and bricks and things of the like, and if they destroy a city, burn down 30 businesses, well, you know, we're not going to get too worried about it because we support their cause and all this other stuff is just collateral damage. So you've lost your business. So you've got $2.5 million in inventory that's been torched. Well, okay, it's it's just stuff. Get over it. And that would be my message to people who feel like that, including the guy that runs the spice store. It's easy to say it's just stuff when it's not your stuff and it's not your business that has been essentially destroyed and you have been bankrupted, period. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. There's something special about hometown teams. They're rooted in our backyard. They give you hope, passion, excitement, and make an impact on our local community. That's why News Radio 620 WTMJ is teaming up with Associated Bank to help local businesses grow and succeed by giving one deserving business an advertising campaign valued at $50,000. Yep, that's right, an advertising campaign valued at $50,000. Businesses can enter at rebuildingwibusiness.com by September 27th. Supporting our communities is a meaningful tradition. Associated Bank and News Radio 620 WTMJ want to be on your team. Enter to win and find the official contest rules at rebuildingwibusiness.com. That's rebuildingwibusiness.com, member FDIC. All right, I, I acknowledge that this is one of these stories that just makes my head want to explode. I understand that the argument just because something has always been that way doesn't mean it always has to be that way. I understand the argument about why people think that Confederate flags flying over state houses is inappropriate. I even understand the argument about people who say, you know, that the Civil War involved all right, people who were trying to secede from the Union. Why would we be honoring generals that were part of that failed cause? So, I mean, I, I understand the, the argument. Now, again, as a student of history, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I think there's a balancing act of that because at the same time, I, I think, you know, you can put stuff in context. But, but all right, I, I, I get it. If you're upset with a statue of Robert E. Lee or a statue of Jefferson Davis, 
Okay, I, I understand that. I even understand, okay, if you've got colleges that are named after Lee or you've got colleges that are named after Jefferson Davis or other heroes of the Confederacy, I understand why, all right, in 2020, maybe you'll look back and you say, okay, maybe, maybe we need to move on. Not, not saying I necessarily endorse that, but at least understand the argument. But I swear, when we start going after George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and, wait for it, Benjamin Franklin, it it just it, I think you got to take take a step back and say look this cancel culture is going too far here here's the the deal this week Washington DC uh, announced the results of this committee that they had had um in the wake of the black lives matter protests uh there was a committee that the mayor of DC had had formed to analyze all right what Let's look at, at our monuments. Let's look at our institutions and let's uh, make some recommendations. So the recommendations that came out, call, this came out two days ago, called on D.C. This is the District of Columbia. This is Washington, D.C. to, quote, remove, relocate or contextualize the Jefferson Memorial and the Washington Monument. Now, did I mention that this is Washington, D.C., and the recommendation is to remove, relocate, or contextualize, whatever that means, the Jefferson Memorial and the Washington Monument? In addition, one of the things they're doing is they're identifying other government buildings and schools. Um, For example, Named after James Monroe, Andrew Jackson, John Tyler, Francis Scott Key, who was the writer of the Star Spangled Banner, and Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin, who, by the way, was was an outspoken abolitionist for many, many of, of his years, but early on apparently was a slave owner. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How far do we do we go with this? Should we be renaming in Wisconsin the capital city? I mean, should it no longer be referred to as Madison? Or do we have to have like an asterisk um, after the N in Madison, M-A-D-I-S-O-N, put an asterisk and then a three-paragraph explanation of James Madison? Do we need to remove the Jefferson Memorial? Do we need to remove the Washington Monument? Don't even get me started on Abraham Lincoln. He apparently didn't get caught up in this. But they're seriously talking about removing, renaming, or contextualizing these these iconic buildings, monuments, locations. Do we need to go this far or is this just politically correctness run completely and totally amok? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I, I just, th- this idea that in the Washington, D.C., named after George Washington, you can't have a Washington monument. Or if you have the Washington monument, it has to be contextualized with all sorts of explanations is to me absolutely, totally Completely ridiculous. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it time to get rid of the Washington Monument, the Jefferson Memorial? Is it time to rename the city of Madison? Or do we just have to say, you know what? 
At, at some point in time, we've got to realize that there is a cutoff. And George Washington might not have been a perfect person by 2020 standards. Thomas Jefferson might not have been a perfect person by uh, by 2020 standards. Ben Franklin, I'm still not sure what Benjamin Franklin's sin is, but all right, let's assume that he was not a perfect person. C- can we not can we not recognize these these founders? Let's start with Dave in Oak Creek. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Good afternoon. Hi, Dave. Um, I'm in a, a bit of a devil's advocate on this. Um, I'm just an average white guy. I love my country. I, I really do enjoy its history. But if I take off that hat and look at it through the lens of a black man or black people, um, you have a founding father here uh, in Mr. Washington who, you know, was part of writing the most beautiful document being the Constitution, but his actions did and the laws created out of that did not mimic that document. It allowed for an you know slavery, which yep. was uh, abhorrent. Yep. I mean, if you research all the things that slavery involved, you know the the forced breeding of people. And well, Dave, nobody's going to defend like sla- nobody's going to defend slavery. But I, I, I guess under- the qu- the question becomes: Can we not recognize? George Washington is the founder of this country and honor him because, yes, he, he was a slave owner. D- d- should that be disqualifying? As, as a white person, yes, I can. I don't want to say give him a pass, but I can say I can recognize, you know, certain shortcomings. But like I said, look at it through the eyes of the black community. And how do you how do you reconcile something that is so um Okay. All right. No. Thanks. Thanks. Well, I guess. I guess that that if if that's the if that's the point, then you're you're at a point where we're we are not going to be able to recognize, honor, memorialize anybody who I, I guess anybody who lived before what like 1850 or 1860 if they had any connection with with slavery. Now, I guess my my point would be right. I I understand our our founding fathers were not. Perfect. And I agree with you that slavery is abhorrent. But, you know, we would not have a country were it not for Thomas Jefferson, were it not for George Washington, were it not for Benjamin Franklin. We wouldn't have a, a country. So does that mean that the founders of the country we're going to decide are unworthy of being recognized with monuments? Do, do we change them? James Madison. All right. I mean, do, can we now? We can't have schools. Can we have the city? Do we have to change the name of Washington? I mean, is that is it? You, you you don't have the Washington Redskins anymore. They're the Washington football team. Can we not have? Do we have to change the name of that city? Do we have to change the name of of Madison? Um, and and I guess the the point is contextualizing. I don't know what contextualizing means. If if, if the point is, gee, they were slave owners and they were a product of their times, and slavery was abhorrent. And um, it's, isn't it wonderful that we've moved beyond that? Well, okay, that's contextualizing. But if we say, okay, these people aren't worthy of recognition because, well, be, because they were products of their time, and this is something that was accepted at that time, I, I, I mean, you're, you're, I'm going to tell you something. You're 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 not going to have too many people that you can, you know, recognize. I mean, what about the whole gay rights issue? For example, there's lots and lots of people, including people on the left, who are opposed to gay marriage. 
All right, well, now that is the law of the land. Does this mean that we can't recognize people on the left who were opposed to gay marriage? Because, well, okay, they, they had this attitude that perpetuated this unfairness. I, I asked the question, 855-616-1620. To me, this is the cancel culture run amok, pure and simple. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Jeff, I think you honor these individuals by telling an honest version of history as opposed to romanticizing them. I took AP U.S. history courses in high school that talked about many of these individuals, but only highlighted the contributions of historical significance. Maybe the next generation needs to be told of these contributions while also being informed of what kind of people these people really were. Well, I, I, I agree and I disagree with that. What kind of people that they, they were? And, and that's... That's again viewing viewing life in 1700 and in 1770 through the prism of of 2020. Do we all do we all agree that slavery was abhorrent? Well, I hope we all agree that it was abhorrent, but that's not how it was viewed in the 1770s. Don't you have to view people by the context of of their times? Now, again, I I have no problem with not sanitizing, you know, versions of, of people's lives. And and again, I, I don't care who that is. I, I mean, I, I think that's fair to give a complete and balanced thing. But the truth of the matter is we, we would not have a country were it not for the contributions of people like Thomas Jefferson and George Washington. And the idea of we have to remove or rename these monuments in the city of Washington, D.C., or we can't have a statue of Abraham Lincoln on Bascom Hill in Madison because, well, can we even have the name Madison? I mean, one, one of the, you know, it used to be, like, for the Republicans, there is, Abraham Lincoln is viewed as kind of the founder of the Republican Party. And so, you know, every every spring, the Republicans have Lincoln Day dinners all, all across the country. The equivalent of that for Democrats used to be the Jefferson Jackson Day dinners. Same sort of thing, to honor the founders of the modern-day Democratic Party, which would be Thomas Jefferson and James Madison. All right, uh, and Andrew Jackson. So the Jefferson Jackson Day um dinners. Well, okay, they don't call them that anymore because people said, well, you know, e- even though, you know, we we trace our our history and the founding of the party back to Thomas Jefferson, we've now decided Thomas Jefferson is bad because Thomas Jefferson was a slave owner and, and so we we have to eradicate him. We we have to pretend that, you know, Thomas Jefferson wasn't the founder of, of the party. Same thing true with, you know, Andrew Jackson who had other issues, you know, he, he didn't treat Native American people as like we think that they, they should have been. Now I think again it, it's it's fair to teach all that, but this idea that we, we can't have a Jefferson memorial. We can't we can't have a Washington monument because well don't you realize that these people, you know, were products of their time and did stuff which was acceptable in the 1770s, but by modern standards is viewed as being appalling. I mean, and, and that's that's where I think you end up having to draw the line. And candidly, the, the movements that, that go about saying, okay, we're going to commission these studies, and the recommendation of the studies is, you know, rename the Washington Monument. To me, it, it's just, it, it's a waste of time because it does nothing to improve the quality of life in 2020. And, and all it does is, I think, make some people just look at this and say, really, is is this what we're, we're spending our time on? I mean, will the lives of one person be any different, better or worse, 
if we were to rename the capital city of Wisconsin because we've decided, you know what, we, we cannot honor Madison anymore. Or we, we can't have a school named after George Washington. We can't have a school named after Thomas Jefferson. I mean, where where does it stop once it starts? And the answer is nobody knows. Back with more in just a minute. And this is Jeff Wagner. Well, welcome to my world. There, there's a story, the... Um, Kenosha News, which has been thrust into the national spotlight because of all the stuff going on in Kenosha over the past you know, two weeks, the only full-time black journalist at the Kenosha News resigned the other day. His name is Daniel Thompson, and, and he objected to a headline that ran in the Kenosha News. There was an event ov- over the weekend, and you, you might have heard about this. There were various speakers that were out there, and... One speaker who who hasn't been named in the media, it, it sort of at the end of this thing, um, said said to the group, "If you kill one of us, it's time for us to kill one of yours." Now that that was said by one speaker, and again, we don't they, they're not even reporting who that particular person was, but it was not consistent with the message given by the other people that appeared at this rally. But the headline in the Kenosha News was, "If you kill one of us, it's time for us to kill one of you, Kenosha speaker." All right, so the the guy for the Kenosha News, the reporter, um, he, he resigned. He said, "Look, I, this is a misleading." This is a misleading headline. I, I don't think it conveyed what the true spirit of the rally was. I think it was inappropriate, so he quits. And and, and that's that. That's fine. I appreciate his position, and you know what? I, I think he might have a fair point. But when I, I say welcome to my world, this this is what's been going on in the media for at least the last twenty five years, where I've been a part of the media around here. It, it's what what happens is. That you have, and you particularly see this in when there is a cover when there's coverage of conservative events, you find the media, whether it's the print media or whether it's the electronic media, trying to find the most sensational thing they can in an effort to either get attention, get eyeballs, get readers, get viewers, get listeners, or alternatively, just to try to, I don't know, portray a movement as a bunch of being a bunch of crazies. I, I always remember twenty years ago. It, the Milwaukee County pension scandal, and it was this, it was a citizen-based drive. And you would have rallies. Matter of fact, I appeared at a couple of the rallies. My friend and colleague Charlie Sykes did as well. And, and, you know, these were, there were hundreds of people who were, were out there. This was the ultimate citizen action. People who felt that what government was doing was malfeasance. It was misfeasance. And they were trying to make a statement. So you have hundreds of people that show up. And I, I always remember there was this one. It was out. Gosh, I think I want to say it was out in Brown Deer. And there, there's hundreds of people there. And some people come and bring homemade sides. And there, there was this one lady sitting in the front row and she has a sign that says uh tom amit he was the county executive at the time tom amit is hitler or something like that it was a dumb sign all right but that's that's what's on all the tv stations that's what's the picture in the newspaper it, it's it's tom amit is hitler and look and the idea is okay this is we're going to sensationalize this and we're going to try to give this impression that these hundreds and hundreds of people that are are there at this rally who are outraged over a legitimate abuse of, of by government officials that that they're all crazies tom amit is hitler so when i see this and i understand the guy's beef if, if by highlighting what apparently was one crazy at this rally, says, I don't think that's representative of the rally. And I think that's probably a fair criticism. But welcome to my world, because I've been watching this go on for the last 25 years. Um, you just 
It's the way the media operates, period. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. You gotta love Nancy Pelosi. It, it fits into the category of when you're wrong, be strong. You know, it's just it. It, it kind of reminds me. You ever watched the old TV show Dallas? And, and the, the the chief protagonist in Dallas was a character called J.R. Ewing, played by Larry Hagman. And and J.R. Ewing, he was just a scoundrel in all sorts of different things. And he was cheating on his wife, the long suffering Sue Ellen. And there was just this, this one great scene where he's in bed with some other woman, and she walks in and she gasps, and he says, "Honey, it, it, it's not what what you think it is." And she says, "What do you mean it's not what I think it is?" He says, "Sue Ellen, who are you going to believe, me or your lying eyes?" And I, I just always loved it. That's the if you're wrong, be strong. It's like, you know, we're not backing down. Now, to, to me, this, the story about Nancy Pelosi and the, the, the haircut is it's just kind of like a, a minor little asterisk. If you haven't been following this, San Francisco still has not reopened to allow people to do uh, barbering or hairstyling. All the salons are closed for inside operations. Apparently, September 1st, they allowed them to open up outside, but they're, they're still closed. You can't go inside and get your hair cut. So I, I understand that that is an incredible inconvenience for, for a lot of people. But at the same time, that's just San Francisco. If you're Nancy Pelosi, well, you, you don't have to go to a salon in San Francisco. There's all sorts of other places all across the country that are open and you can go in. But in any event, Nancy Pelosi makes arrangements despite the fact that the business is closed she makes arrangements with her stylist who rents a chair in one of these shops that she's gonna she's gonna have her hair cut and done and so she gets busted i mean they, they take pictures of her showing her going into the store big signs that say closed on it and things like that and, and she goes in and this becomes the again the the fodder for her her Marie Antoinette let them eat cake moment. You know, um, it's kind of like, oh, the, the little people, well, they can't go inside and get their hair cut, but I'm not one of those little people. I'm Nancy Pelosi, et cetera, et cetera. So she gets busted doing this. Now, it look, it it's not the end of the world, all right? In, in the scheme of things, it's just... It, it's a bit hypocritical. I, I think, you know, that that's it. But in, in it, and you would think it would be embarrassing because if you have any sort of sense of shame, it's like, OK, may, maybe you shouldn't have done this. So instead of apologizing, Nancy Pelosi, again, it's the, when you're wrong, be strong. She goes on the offensive. She says, well, I'm matter of fact, I was set up and I would I I should be apologized to because I. I had no idea that I wasn't allowed to go inside. So in other words, the fact that everybody else in San Francisco knows that you can't do that. The fact that there's big signs that say closed on the windows and things like that. She was shocked, shocked to learn that she was violating the, the rules by going in and, and doing this. Now, I don't think that that would have worked very well with ordinary people who are, you know, kind of expected to know how to do these things. But again, it, it's not the biggest thing one way or the other, but for the fact that to me, it just, again, demonstrates the arrogance and the hypocrisy of, of some, some people out there. It also just demonstrates the 
sort of untouchability, the fact that the the rules don't apply to me. Yes, I support all these lockdowns, and yes, I'm concerned about the spread of COVID-19, and yes, Donald Trump is terrible, and yes, the Republicans are evil, and, and yes, we need to close down these businesses, but darn it, I need my haircut, and, and yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go in there. Again, not the biggest thing in the world, but instead of just acknowledging that you made a mistake, it's kind of like when I'm wrong, when you're wrong, be strong. And some people will relate to that, and I think other people will recognize her for the hypocrite that she is. All right. I always try to look for silver linings in in dark clouds. You know, so often we we talk about, you know, the bad stuff that happens. And and you look at you look at what happened in, in Kenosha over the last, you know, 10 days. And there, there's not too many silver linings. I mean, you have 30 businesses that are destroyed by the, the rioting. You have people who've been individually bankrupt, you know, families that have been devastated by that. You have Jacob Blake, um, who's, you know, who's been, been injured, you know, and might never walk again. That That's a tragedy. You have, you know, the whole situation of the, the two men who were shot by the 17-year-old carrying a gun. And, and we're going to talk about that in more detail at some point in time. And I, I know there's some people who think of Kyle Rittenhouse as being a hero. I, I'm sorry. I, can't we all agree that 17-year-olds shouldn't be walking the streets during a riot armed with an AR-15, that nothing good is going to come of that? But you have people that are dead in connection with that. There's not a lot of good stuff that, that comes from that. But maybe moving forward, we can have a discussion about, you know, what needs to be done to make things better moving forward. And some of the stuff is real esoteric, and other stuff is actual and practical. Since 2017, the Kenosha City Council has said our police officers should have body cameras on, and yet they have refused to fund it. If we had body cameras, we would probably be able to see the interactions leading up to the, the events that caused that led to the, the shooting of Jacob Blake. All right. And and, and I, I don't know that it would change anybody's opinion, but at least in, instead of just like a, a 20 second video, you'd have the, the whole three or four minute encounter. So you, you could have some sort of context about what this was. But the Kenosha police don't have body cameras, so we don't have that. In Madison, for the last six years, they have been, you know, debating whether or not, you know, officers should wear body cameras. And yet they, they still, they still don't. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I know some people disagree with me, but I, I candidly believe that if police were outfitted with body cameras, I believe nine times out of ten, it would show that the police officers behaved appropriately in their interactions with citizens. So, I mean, I think it's there. Body cameras on most occasions are going to protect the police from unfounded claims of brutality or or whatever. I I think for the other 10%, it's going to make it clear to everybody how wrong the officer was if in fact they are they are wrong 855-616-1620 that's the accident mortgage talk and text line if nothing else comes from the all the bad stuff that's gone on in kenosha over the last 10 days i think one good thing would be if we finally wake up and say look it's time 
to put body cameras on police in order to hold the officers accountable and also show us what the officers are dealing with to dispel claims of false claims of, again, police misconduct. 855-616-1620. Shouldn't police have body cameras? And if they had them, wouldn't a lot of the speculation end? We discuss in just a moment. 855-616-1620. My answer is you you bet. It's way past time to outfit the police with the technology that shows us what actually went on when they have encounters with people. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, um, police officers in Kenosha were not were not wearing cameras when they had their encounter with Jacob Blake. Now, the, the Kenosha Police Union has been very, very aggressive in coming out and saying, look, the, the, the story that is being told is a lot more complex and complicated than that, that 20 seconds of, of cell phone video that you see at the end. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But if you had body cameras, we would have three or four minutes to show at least the complete interaction that was there. And maybe it gives a different perspective. Now, look, I, I, I understand that that that's not necessarily going to be a magic bullet. It doesn't solve all the issues and stuff is always going to be open to interpretation. So I, I understand all that. But at the same time, given what's going on with police community relations and given the technology that exists now, I mean, for goodness sakes, you know, people have cameras all over. Everybody has these cell phone cameras. If I was a police officer on the street, I'd want to have a body camera so I could... I could say, okay, look, all you're seeing is the last 15 seconds of an encounter that I have had with a suspect. You don't understand what led up to it, and and this is why I had to do what I did in that last 15 seconds that shows up on the shelf cell phone video. Let me show you that whole thing. To me, I think that that would be a positive, and... If it turns out that the police officer is is in the wrong, you, you look at the video, you go to the tape, and you see that okay, the officer you know copped an attitude from the the beginning, behaved in a fashion that wasn't professional. Okay, l- let's let the chips fall where they may, but let's let's figure this all out. Let's talk to Mark in Manitowoc. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, first of all, thanks for taking my call. Uh, absolutely, body cameras should be worn. Um, I just believe that with social media nowadays, um, everybody jumps to conclusions and, and don't wait for the body camera video to be shown. And everybody starts rioting, and, and um, right. you know, it's, that's how bad it is. Well, well, right, and and so let's let's get a depiction of of what's going on, and let's get the full picture. And it's still very look. I mean, I I don't know if the police in in Kenosha, if they had body cameras for the entire encounter with Jacob Blake, it might not change anything. I mean, that 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 you know, the ultimate conclusion might still be the same. But then at least we we know that you know the same thing with the the George Floyd stuff. Let's let's see what the body cameras show, and then let people decide. So you don't have to just take somebody's word for it but then after a while when these officers are exonerated that the riots are going to go on again yeah. because 
Yep. You know, that's the problem now. Well, is, and is when these officers are exonerated, we are going to have another riot because people feel that they were still in the wrong. Yeah, well, I mean, it is going to be interesting, Mark. I mean, let, let's talk about the Minneapolis situation where you have multiple police officers who've been charged. I've said this before, and I know some we'll, – we'll, we'll wait and see how this all works out. I think the officer who was directly involved in putting his, his knee on, um, on George Floyd's back, I think that's a different case than the other officers who've also been criminally charged who are on the scene. And I, I think I would not be surprised if the results are, are different. And that's just the reality there, because it's, they're, in my opinion, at least they're completely different cases. But to your point, yeah, I mean, it, you know, inevitably what's going to happen is there's going to be people that are going to be upset. And, you know, who knows? You, you've got a situation. I know we've been talking about Kenosha for the last two weeks. It, it is still it is mind boggling to me that we've had all this stuff going on in Wauwatosa with the, the police officer who is suspended, Joseph Mensa, that. The, the shooting that's caused all the protests and the consternation in Wauwatosa, that happened in February. It is now September, February, March, April, May, June, July, August, September. It has been seven months. All right. Th- it is mind-boggling to me that this has been allowed to go on for seven months without the district attorney's office ending up reaching a decision. It's not a complicated case. I mean, at the the end of the day, the facts are what the facts are. I mean, the family of the 17-year-old in Wauwatosa was shot, says the police are are lying, the kid didn't have a a stolen handgun and didn't fire at the police. Okay, well, you know, this is, there's there's only so many witnesses. The fact that this has gone on for seven months is is just, it's mind-blowing to me. And I, I kind of wonder, you know, why is the DA's office delaying the results of this investigation? Why are they delaying a decision? Are they afraid that people aren't going to be happy if they end up clearing the police officer, which the Wauwatosa police seem to think is going to happen? So are we waiting to, okay, let, let's wait till, we'll, we'll sit on this until December. December when it's cold, so there's less likely that people are going to go take to the streets. I mean, it, that's what the frustration is. But regardless, I mean, we, we want the most complete picture possible of all these different situations. And again, let the chips fall where they may. It seems to me that's the only way you can proceed. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. The Wisconsin Sports Awards is an event that honors and celebrates excellence in Wisconsin athletes and teams at all levels of competition from high school to the pros. This year, the awards are up to you, the fans. Visit WisconsinSportsAwards.com to see the nominees and to cast your vote. Also, by voting, you could win tickets to next year's in-person event. Go to WisconsinSportsAwards.com and vote today. Here's a text. Jeff, I agree that the police need body cameras, and I think that the professional athletes that say they want change and reform should donate the body cameras using their money in a constructive way. That way, as you said, there would be no question as to what transpired. That's Chuck. Now, yeah, see, that's that that was kind of an interesting idea. When we had all the, they called them boycotts. They really weren't boycotts. They were more kind of like a wildcat strike. But, you know, when the players said, we're, we're going to take a day off, et cetera, and that, that's fine. I, I That's that called attention to issues and all. But I thought, yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't it be nice to follow up with that and say all the players, just let's just take the NBA players, say, you know what, 
Here, here's what. We're going to look at a situation like Kenosha, and we're going to say, you know, we think one of the constructive things we could do to improve com- community relations is if if the police had to be outfitted with body cameras. And Kenosha has already authorized it, but they don't have the money for it. So here, a couple of us, we're going to donate just one game salary, just one game salary. And my guess is you could outfit all the Kenosha police with body cameras. And you know what? You'd probably have enough left over to do it in Racine and maybe even as in Madison as well. Just just an idea for people who have lots of money looking for, okay, ways to kind of put their money where their mouths are. Just just saying, great opportunity to do it. The sooner we get police with body cameras, the better I think it's going to be for everybody. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I know some people don't like to hear this. I don't know how the election is going to turn out. I, I think I think it's going to be closer than polls indicate now. But I will tell you, sometimes sometimes President Trump is his own worst enemy and just has trouble getting out of his own way. And there's there's a story I, again that it, it just it's kind of like one of these eyebrow raising things. And I understand I think what it was that he was trying to say, but. What do we always say? Just because you're paranoid doesn't mean that people aren't out to get you. And and, and just because the mainstream media is out to get President Trump, and, and they are, and they have been at every every turn, it, it still doesn't mean that you necessarily have to play into their hand and, and give them stuff to, to do. All right, so President Trump is in North Carolina. North Carolina is one of the many battleground states that, that's there. And President Trump has, of course, been one of these people he's he is concerned about mail-in voting and the potential for fraud i have concerns about mail-in voting but it's actually not not as much fraud it's just the the mechanics of this you know unless unless i had absolute personally unless i had absolutely no other way to vote I, I wouldn't send my ballot through the mail just because there's there's too many things that can go wrong with this and I, i'm not it, it's just it's not a criticism of people in the postal service, which I think does a great job. It's not a criticism of people in the clerk's office. It's just that there, there's so many different steps. You request the ballot, has to be sent to you, you fill it out, and then it has to get back and it has to be processed. Okay, I understand it's not rocket science, but still, I want to make sure my vote is counted. And so, as a general rule, unless that's the only way I have to vote, I, I'm I'm going to vote either in person or election day, or I'm going to early vote in person. I'm going to go to the courthouse. I'm going to fill out the ballot. I'm going to put it in the envelope. I'm going to put it in the hands of whoever is sitting at the table in the clerk's office. Can something still happen? Yeah, I guess, but I think it reduces the chances. So that that's my personal beef with the the mail voting thing. It's really not so much fraud as just. I, just the, the possibility of just human error somewhere along the way that I don't think you're ever going to be able to deal with. Well, anyhow, President Trump has been talking about vote by mail as being fraught. So um, he, he's doing an interview in North Carolina, and his advice to voters is, okay, well, if you want to vote by mail, let them send it in, send in their ballot, and then go and show up in person to vote. If the system is as good as they say it is, then obviously they won't be able to vote in person. So you, you, you look at that and you can make an argument that President Trump is encouraging people to, to vote twice. 
At least you can make that that argument. Vote by mail and then go in and show try to show up and, and try to vote in person. Now, obviously, voting twice is a crime. It's a felony in, in North Carolina. Now, I, I think what the president was trying to say is in a less than artful fashion was, look, you know, if you're going to vote by mail, make sure that your ballot was received and it's going to be counted. Okay, if you say that, that that's fine. He says, well, then, then show up and see if they're going to let you vote anyways. And, of course, that raises the question. Now you have everybody on the other side of the mainstream media. Say, oh, he's, he's out there encouraging people to commit felonies. Well, I don't think that's what he was really encouraging people to do. But I admit that words matter. And the way he approached this was, how can we say, perhaps less than, than artful, <laughs> you know, just kind of less than artful. And it's one of those deals where, again, if you're the leader of the free world, you know, people are going to be paying attention to everything you say. And by the way, people, especially all those people that are out to get you, they're going to be there and they're going to be dissecting every word and they're going to be parsing every sentence. So you, you got to be thoughtful about how you approach this. And, you know, yes, you want to make sure, and perhaps the better message or the better way to say it would be, look, if, if you're going to choose to vote by mail, do it early and then make sure that your ballot has been received. Okay, that's better than saying vote by mail, then go in and try to vote again and see what happens. So words matter, and I, I guess nothing's going to change about President Trump. He's kind of been that way for, for four years, and I guess in November we'll we'll see what the American people's ultimate verdict of him is. Just like in some respects, I think the, the Nancy Pelosi, you know, violating the, the shutdown orders and getting her haircut, that, that's kind of an interesting but sort of a non-story. I think this is the same thing. I don't think President Trump was really encouraging people to commit felonies, but just like Nancy Pelosi should have probably, I don't know, held off on getting her hair styled. President Trump should probably be clearer if he's going to talk about encouraging people to make sure that their ballots are counted. Back with more in just a minute. When we come back, what is pandem- pandemic fatigue and do you have it? Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. You know, sometime between now and the election, we'll get a we'll get a municipal clerk on to just talk about, or maybe somebody from the state, just to talk about some of the rules on absentee ballots. Because I, I, I just we're getting a number of questions. Somebody, for example, just said, "If I've got an absentee ballot, can I deliver it in person to the the polling places?" And um, my my understanding is is yes. For you, you have to request the absentee ballot in advance of the the election. So I think you have to make a request by that Thursday before the election to get the absentee to get the absentee ballot sent to you in in the mail. But as, the question assumes so you've requested the absentee ballot, you you've been sent the absentee ballot, can you can you deliver it to the, the clerk's office? And the answer is um yeah, I mean your your completed absentee ballot must be delivered no later than 8 p.m. on election day. So if, for example, you now I, the mechanics of it, I guess, are going to vary. Let's say you didn't want to vote, stand in line and vote, but you wanted to drop off your ballot. You, you could. Um, the U.S. Postal Service recommends absentee ballots be mailed one week before election day to arri- to arrive in time. So. But we'll, we'll have a clerk. We'll have somebody from either the state or the clerk's office on just to go through some of these different rules that are out there as to what you can do and what you can't do. All right. They call it pandemic fatigue. Do you have it? Now, over the course, I would say of the last few days, 
I've been having this conversation with more and more people. One of the things that I think has helped a lot of us get through the, the stresses of the, the shutdowns and things like that has been, first of all, stuff that stuff is starting to reopen. And yeah, there, there's rules. Um, there, there's rules that you can't have as many people. If in Milwaukee, the what restaurants are limited to like 25%, and schools are still closed. But but by and large, stuff is starting to open up. The, the safer at home rules are, are gone now, and stuff is starting to open up. There are requirements like wearing masks and things like that. But there, there's things that I think people can can live with. Uh, there are still things we can't do. You, you can't, we don't have people going to, the, the brewers are playing in front of an empty stadium, for example. So you, you, you can't do that. You know, there's no, there's no big concerts as a general rule that people are going to. A lot of the entertainment venues are shut down, but still, there have been things that people can do. If you want to go out, you, you, you can go out. A lot of restaurants have turned to, for example, outdoor dining so you can eat out on patios. There's all sorts of activities that you can engage in outside. I've played more golf this summer than I played in, in years. Hasn't necessarily showed up in my scores, but I'm, in, I'm enjoying it. So there's stuff that you, you can do in part because the weather's been pretty good. Nevertheless, I think people are kind of frustrated and people are getting a little bit antsy. The other thing that is very clearly coming through is we're all looking at the calendar. Today is what, September 3rd? You know, Labor Day is on Monday. Summer officially ends in a couple weeks. That brings fall. We can have nice falls around here. You know, and it's, it's you know, the weather the weather can be nice until, you know, if, if we're lucky, you know, it, it can be nice through October. But let's face it, you know, once you start getting into November, yes, can you have a decent day here and there? You, you can, but things are starting to get cold, and then you've got December, and then you've got January, and then you've got the winter that never starts to end. And I'm talking to a lot of people, and I know it's it's that pan, what I'm calling the pandemic fatigue that is kind of setting in. And it's like, gosh, we're, we're just, we've been cooped up. We can't do things that we want to do. And now winter is, is coming, to borrow the line from Game of Thrones. You know, win- winter is coming, and we're particularly freaked out about the idea that we might be stuck inside, not having anything to do for the course of, I don't know, the, the next six or seven months. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are you dreading winter this year? Are, are you dreading the end of summer? And is it because of, of pandemic fatigue? It is the fact that, my gosh, we, we're, we're going to be closed in again. We're not going to be going out of our, our houses. We're not going to have all these outdoor opportunities. Is pandemic fatigue sinking in? And I ask this because, candidly, I've talked to at least a half dozen people in the last two or three days, and without calling it pandemic fatigue, they're, they're already showing symptoms. They're dreading what this fall is going to bring because they're concerned that it's going to mean, because of COVID-19, we're going to kind of be back to where we were six months ago as far as it being able to do stuff. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Me, I'm trying not to think about it, but you know what? I'm I'm afraid that for a lot of us who've adjusted by doing outside stuff, it's going to come to a very quick end pretty soon. We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Pandemic fatigue, do you have it? Are you afraid you're going to have it pretty soon? 
My favorite text of the day so far from Marion Hartford. She sent me this picture, and it's got pulling into February, and it's a picture of Olivia Newton-John and John Travolta from the movie Grease, and they're in they're in this car, and they're close together, and they're smiling, and they're happy, and then pulling into September, and it's a picture of John Travolta and Uma Thurman from from Pulp Fiction after she's accidentally overdosed on heroin, and they're they're both just haggard and sitting across from each other. Mary, it's a great thing. Mary says, pretty much how we feel. Hubby and I both work in schools. We always hate the idea of winter. We love our summers. Um, Jeff, uh, I'm trying to save some of the inside projects and deep cleaning in the house for the winter months. I'll stay outside and do things like you said through October hopefully even into november winter wisconsin in wisconsin for me is spending a lot of time indoors at home anyways i think that eating in restaurants will still happen but will require planning ahead because of the distancing if this stays in place um jeff if you don't have pandemic fatigue you were living in a shell happily before this well i i think that there is that jeff no covid fatigue with me compared to our greatest generation ancestors who endured the depression war and rationing we are all wimps well that that could be true we we might be wimps but it doesn't change the fact that people you know um have this jeff i think covid is an election infection that will be gone as soon as the election is over well i i don't know jeff i'm a cross-country skier winter is my favorite time of year anyone to to any way to everyone take up an outdoor winter activity um well at yeah, but it's just to me, it's just not the same. Uh, do you have cope? Do I have pandemic fatigue? Yes, yes, and yes. I am dreading winter more now than I ever have. Jeff, I've had COVID fatigue since late April when I stopped caring or doing anything about it. We have been living our lives as normal since late April, socializing even more than we used to because work is slow. We wear masks when we have to, but have also vacationed in areas that we know do not require masks. I say we have socialized with 200-plus people this summer at our home, the beach, restaurants, etc. Not a single COVID case among our friends and family. I'm not worried about the winter because we are going to continue to socialize. Hmm, That's Josh from Cedarburg. Uh, Jeff, I definitely have pandemic fatigue, but December and January cannot get here soon enough. That means the election will be over, and um, hopefully a lot of the craziness on both sides will end. I, I guess I look at the – somebody else says, I just bought a snowmobile. <laughs> well, that's that's the – you know, that's the bottom line. You know, it's – you know, it. People are going to have to try to find time. Jeff, we just finished our horseshoe league. Golf will soon be done, and we decided not to bowl this year. So, yes, I am not looking forward to winter. I'll just be going to work and sitting at home. So much fun. Well, we'll be here. You can always listen to the radio as well, trying to be entertaining. I guess I, I look at this, and I I, I, I appreciate what's what's going on with, with the psyche of, of people. And that's why I find myself constantly wondering what the end game is. And I, I said this in a different context yesterday because there's some people who don't think that we should reopen schools, for example, until COVID is gone. And I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I, I'm afraid coronavirus, just like the flu, and I understand coronavirus isn't flu, but just like the flu is always with us, I, I think coronavirus is probably to one extent or another always going to be with us. I mean, there are there are people 
who are, are, aren't going to get back. Even once there's a vaccination, there are people who aren't going to get vaccinated. So, I mean, some people will always be getting it. There's questions, even if you've had it, there's issues as to how long the immunity lasts. So if you get it, can you get it again? I mean, I just think it's something that we're going to have to figure out how to live with. But, I mean, I think right now, you know, people are wondering, what do you do? How do you adjust to this? How do you handle the, the mental health component of this? And, again, unless you're like an avid, I love winter type of person, and I know this, there's some people like that, it, it's it's kind of depressing when you're looking at winter anyhow, and then you add in the idea that, okay, well, now, you know, we're also going to be dealing with winter in the pandemic. I, I think it's tough. I think it's stressful for people. That's why it, even though COVID is going to be with us for the foreseeable future, the sooner we get a vaccine so that people can take something to at least help protect themselves, the, the better it's going to be. And the sooner we get back to some sense of normalcy, the better it's going to be. But pandemic fatigue, um, I, I tell you, I'm, I'm with one of our texters. If If you don't have it, I don't know where you've been because I think it's something that we're all suffering from. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back. Not the finest moment for Wisconsin Governor Tony Evers. <laughs> it's just, and, and it just, you, you look at this and you kind of say, didn't you realize that this was going to happen? Now, a couple days ago, Tony Evers, first of all, instead of going to Kenosha right away, Evers doesn't go till Thursday. Okay, that 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 that's fine. Then President Trump announces that he's coming to Kenosha, and Governor Evers gets national attention by saying, "I, I called the president. I told him to to stay away. Don't 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 want you there." Okay, don't think it would be helpful. Well, President Trump came anyways, and and actually his his visit came off without a hitch. I mean, there weren't there there weren't problems. You, you didn't have large numbers of protesters getting into major fights in connection with uh, the the um, like the anti-Trump people. It 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 went. It went fine, and things have, in fact, calmed down in Kenosha. And so Joe Biden announces that, okay, now he's going to Kenosha today. Okay, well, the problem is, of course, now Governor Evers, who had been very public about saying to the president, I don't want you here, the, the obvious question, and this apparently happened just a while ago, they say, well, you know, did you tell Joe Biden not to come? And it was like, well, um, humana, humana, humana. Um, well, I, I called him when he was on the plane. And then, of course, somebody says, well, oh, wait, you mean you didn't know he was coming until he was on the plane? No, no, I, I knew, but I, I called him on a plane, and but he was already on his way here, so I told him what some of my concerns were, and I'm humming, a, humming, a, humming, a, and it's it just, I mean, what the governor should have said is, gee, I was, when the president announced that he was going to come, I was concerned that this would be a distraction and we'd be, you know, having more problems with unrest. It didn't happen that way. And so the the visit went fine and I don't have any problems. I assume it's going to be exactly the same with former Vice President Biden. And that's what he should have said instead of like, oh, well, I, you know, I'm I'm not sure. I didn't want this person coming. I I said no, but uh, I expressed my concerns. Humana, humana, humana. It's kind of like, really? And I guess the, the other thing is, I'm kind of surprised that the governor stumbled on that that badly because you knew that question, you know, had to be coming. Bottom line is the president had every right to come to Kenosha, especially since he's coming with proposals to like put a bunch of federal money into helping rebuild. And to the credit of everybody, cooler heads prevailed. The, the event was uneventful. The 
The visit was uneventful. Again, the Joe Biden visit is going to be presumably uneventful as well. And that, that, that's the way it should be. That's the way it should be. And I think Evers should have stayed out of it in the first place. Okay. There, we were talking in the last segment of the program about pandemic fatigue. The fact that people are, are just, I think people in general are on their last nerve. That's kind of between between COVID-19 and all the social justice issues and then the election. It's just people are on their, their last nerve. And, and the election's going to happen in November, and some people are going to be happy, and some people are going to be sad. I, the, the social justice stuff that that's going to take that's going to take longer because the, the protests the, the the goals are more nebulous. Uh, it's not like it's not like in the, ni- the early nineteen seventies and the late sixties when people were demonstrating to end the war in Vietnam. That's what the goal was. The, the, the social justice things. It's much more nebulous. So that's going to be with us for a while. And then, of course, you have coronavirus. One of the steps to getting a handle on the pandemic is going to be the development of a vaccine. That, that's not going to solve the whole problem because lots of people aren't going to get the vaccine and we don't know if the vaccine's going to work. But that, that's, a, that's a start. An effective vaccine takes us a giant step towards getting back to normal, whatever that new normal is going to look like in this country. And I, I don't, my crystal ball is kind of foggy on that. The Trump administration is aggressively pushing for a vaccine to be done by the end of the year. They've asked the states to be ready for a vaccine by November. The CDC, I think yesterday, sent letters to the governors asking them to speed approval of distribution centers by November 1st. Um, and this would be, they're, they're saying, would you remove barriers for building permits for distribution sites? So if we get if we get the vaccine, we want to make sure that the, the states, as quickly as possible, you know, you you have mechanisms in place. So there's places where we can store the vaccine in your state and where people can go and get the vaccine in, in your state. Um, so they're, they're talking about that. The FDA Vaccine Advisory Committee is going to meet October 22nd to discuss the development, authorization, and licensing of vaccines to prevent COVID-19. So this is definitely, it's on a fast track. And the hope is that there will be something that people can get by the end of the year, November or December. All right. We have discussed this before. But I am curious as to where you are at this point in time. If there is a vaccine, we are now early September, September, October, let's say two months from now, early November. Can you believe it? Early November is going to be two months from now. Okay, September, October. Yeah, early November, two months from now. Let's say that the FDA approves one or more vaccines by early to mid-November, and those vaccines are available for you to get by uh, by Christmas time or before. Are you going to get one? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do you want to be in what I will call the, the first wave? Vaccines, let's say we get vaccines that are approved, they start to get distributed, so you're going to have the option of getting vaccinated in December. Will you be one of the early adopters or not? 
855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You know, I've waffled on, on this. I, I didn't want to be part of the test package, but I guess my attitude is if it's certified as safe and my doctor tells me, Jeff, I, I as far as we can tell, I think it's safe. There's nothing in your medical history that suggests that you shouldn't have this. You get the flu shots regularly. You've never had an adverse reaction. I, I guess under those circumstances, I'm willing to sign up for this because, again, I want to try to get back to normal. But that's that's me. How do you feel about this? If it's available in December, are you going to get the vaccination? We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Okay, so if if we're able to fast-track a vaccine, and, and let's say best case, and I think it is the best case scenario, you get a vaccine or vaccines that get approved by the FDA in November. Not making that prediction, but that's best case scenario. And then it gets mass produced. So by sometime in December, you have the chance to go get the vaccine. Would you do it? Uh, here's a couple of texts before we go to the phones. Jeff, buddy, I'm first in line. I'm 68 years old and I would do it. Jeff, uh, definitely. And uh, I'm an infectious disease doctor. Jeff, I am pro-vaccination, but there's no way I'm getting it for at least five years until this country has a better ha- handle on what this virus is and the long-term effects of a vaccination. I'm a healthy 30-year-old. I will roll the dice. Um, let's see. Um, you get the idea. People spread out. Jeff, I'm going to wait and see how it affects people. I think this has disaster written all over it. No, Jeff, I don't even get a flu shot. I don't believe in this. Jeff, I'll be the f- next person in line right behind Dr. Fauci. Okay, 855-616-1620. Let's start with Karen in Waukesha. Hi, Karen. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Okay, you're um, gonna get the shot. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say I'll pass on the shots um, for a couple reasons. Um, it just seems as though there hasn't been, you know, ample time to to do the proper longitudinal studies um, on the vaccine, on creating the vaccine, which they would normally do for other vaccines. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, when this first came out, they said that COVID was five, ten times worse as the flu. And I'm just the one time that I did get the flu shot. I was told it was a dead strain, but that was the one time that I did actually get the flu immediately after. And so I'm just concerned that, you know, that I'm signing myself up for injecting myself with COVID, you know, a live, a quote-unquote dead strain, but a live strain. Okay. Do you think that you will never get the shot, or do you think you're, are we talking about waiting six months or a year or two years or something like that? Or don't you know? I'm in my 40s, and as I see it right now, and I don't know if I'll change my mind when I'm in my 60s or maybe my uh, immune system is more compromised, but as for right now, I'm saying I'll never get one. You'll pass. Okay, good enough. And thanks. I don't currently get the flu shot. Okay, yeah. th- thanks for the call, Karen. I appreciate it. Again, it, it it's... It's. I, I don't think we're going to get to a point. I say don't think. I don't know. Don't think we're going to get to a point where the, the shots are going to be mandatory, at least mandated by government. Now, you know, who who knows? I'm not sure that I would have thought that we would have government mandating that businesses have to shut down, et cetera. So I guess I, I don't know where we're going with that. But, uh, you know, would you do it voluntarily? Let's talk to Renee in Menominee Falls. Hi, Renee. You're on WTMJ. Yeah, hi. <laughs> okay. So um, just been listening to a lot of uh, a, a conference that I was supposed to attend back in March, and now I'm listening to some of the virtual conferences, and one was on the COVID in kids, 
and the other one was on the flu, and I happened to listen to it last night. And a while back, I was listening to vaccinations, and my first question is, those of you who are going to jump in line to get the COVID-19, do you get the flu shot? That should be the first question you want to ask. And you know, the, the viruses that we have around today, we, we don't have viruses for our vaccines for the enterovirus and the vi- rhinovirus and so on and so forth. There's other coronaviruses out there, right. and we don't have vaccines for this. So I think this this vaccine, unfortunately, is probably going to appease those who are afraid of the virus. But it's a virus. People get viruses. Mm-hmm. And if you can stay healthy, take your vitamin D, you know, the only thing, if, and I don't know if people are aware of this. You said vitamin D, right? Because I'm, I'm taking vitamin C oh, and vitamin absolutely. D. Every, every day absolutely. I'm taking vitamin D. That's what somebody absolutely. said to me. Okay. All right. So, yep. do you, so you're, you're, you're going to pass. You're going to pass on it. I'm, I'm going to pass because, um, unfortunately, what these flu vaccines, like the flu vaccine, it's a year in advance that they come up with this. People get sick because it doesn't cover every virus you can possibly have. Right. And now when people, when we get sick coming up here, when the flu season does start coming around, the only way you're going to differentiate between the flu vac- or the flu and um, the, the COVID is if you're going to have to get tested. So now right. everybody who gets sick normally, I don't know. No, I, I, okay. I can't foresee myself putting a vaccine in me that all these vaccines do is jumpstart your immune system. They do not make your immune system used to whatever virus we're trying to get. Okay, good enough. Now, thanks for calling. That that is the question I'm asking, and it's an individual choice. I'm just trying to figure out where people are on this. Jeff, I'm a paramedic. I'm tired of living in fear that I'm going to catch COVID. I will sign up for the vaccine the first chance I get. Uh, Jeff, I'm going to get it on the first day it comes out. I'm 69 years old. Um, Jeff, I don't do flu shots. I won't do COVID. I think it's overplayed. Um, uh, okay, well, there you go. Um, let's see. Um, Jeff, uh, you're darn right. Actually, they use a different phrase. You're darn right that I'm going to get it. I will be first in line if need be. I work in trades and work around a lot of people. I would like to sit in the same room as my aging parents and see them and talk to them again without being worried that I will pass on COVID to them. Jeff, my husband and I are in our 70s. We got our flu shot today. I will get the COVID-19 shot as well. My husband, however, still has not decided on that. Let's talk to Dorothy um, in Greendale. Dorothy, you're on WTMJ. Yes, hi. hi. Um, I was all set to uh, be the first in line for the vaccine until I heard that the statistics are no longer going from health care providers to the CDC. They've been uh, subverted and may be uh, uh, liable for manipulation. Then I watched the press conference with the president where we uh, heard the FDA say that convalescent uh, plasma is 30% effective, mm-hmm. and then all the experts came and said, no, that's not true. And the next day he had to retract what he said. The 30% applied to a very, very small uh, sampling. And uh, I just feel right now that everything is going to be pushed to the extreme for political reasons just because we're in a presidential election year. Mm -hmm. So now I am going to the back of the line, and I feel really badly about that because I have taken every booster shot. I'm Mm -hmm. elderly, and I've taken every every vaccine there's available, plus 
pneumonia and shingles and everything you could name, I've had it. So what does going so, to the back of the line mean? Does that mean January of 2021? Does it mean January of 2022? What, what ex- or, or, or is that, that, that might not be a fair question to ask, but I'm kind of curious. Well, because of the political nature of pushing this uh, to come out before the election, really, I am probably going to want to wait at least six months. Okay, fair enough. All right, thanks. That fair, fair enough. People are going to have to decide. Now, the other interesting thing is going to be for for people who work in, and we talked about this to an extent the other day. Um, for people who work, for example, in the healthcare field, uh, getting the flu shot is mandatory as a condition of your employment. Um, it, it will be interesting to see. My guess is, for example, if you work at hospitals and stuff, once the FDA approves one, my guess is it's going to be mandatory that, that you get that shot as well. That would just be my guess. I don't have any particular insight on that. But if they say you got to get the flu shot, I would imagine you have to do that. So that that's where some of the trial balloons going to be. Jeff, I do get the flu shot. Here's a text. But the COVID shot would be too new. I am concerned about long-term effects that we wouldn't know about right now um jeff since people since people have been symptomatic free when testing positive i would like an antibody test before getting the vaccine jeff not a chance it's far too early um severely lacking robust clinical trials huh. so for I, I bring this topic up because only to make the point that for everybody who thinks that all right we're, we're completely out of the woods with this and the controversy is going to go away as soon as they develop the vaccination my guess is that's not going to be how it all plays out. 